Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. The more attention you give to descriptions of objects, the more importance and meaning your reader will attach to those objects. If it's just background, be brief about it. But if you want an object to mean something inside the story, to have some metaphoric value, then it should stand alone and be given more attention than other objects. And you want to bring it back into the story through repetition and variation. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. One of the things I talk with my coaching clients about a lot is specificity. To make your writing pop, you want to bring concrete details into the scene. In last week's episode, we talked about setting, specifically setting a scene in a particular place. In each particular place, whether it's a room or a yard or an alley, will have objects. So in this episode, we're going to talk about objects in your scenes to give your story more muscularity and vividness. We'll explore different types of objects and the various purposes each play in a scene and in the story as a whole. We'll break it down into three types of objects, and I'll give you examples of each. So let's dive in. Every object you put into a scene counts. The things we find in a room, a restaurant, a street, the mall, or in the backyard is either going to paint a picture of the setting to create mood or atmosphere, or it will say something essential about your character. And one particular object may even be crucial to your plot. Think of props on a movie set. Each object is intentionally placed. I was recently listening to the set designer of the show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And he said that he never leaves 
anything even in a drawer empty on the set. Even if the audience never sees the contents of that drawer, he fills it with specific objects. And he does this so that the actor is never pulled out of the moment. Because if the actor opens a desk drawer, let's say, and there's nothing in it, they're going to be pulled out of the moment. And he wants to keep them present in the scene. I was also watching an interview with the show's lead actress, Rachel Brosnahan, who was on the set of the apartment where she lived throughout the season. And she noticed some envelopes on the foyer table in the apartment. And she said, knowing our set designer and the detail he brings to each part of the set, there's something in this envelope. And sure enough, she opened one of the envelopes and it was a state tax statement for something like $147. Now, obviously, you don't need to go to those lengths. You don't have to be that detailed. But this speaks to the idea that objects have their own electrical charge. And you know what? It doesn't hurt to do this as an exercise for the rooms your characters inhabit. You can do word clusters and brainstorm objects that you might find in a room. That doesn't mean that every toy, plant, painting, chair, water stain, and cup of tea needs to have meaning. You want to pare it down to the essentials that are most representative of character or the mood you're trying to create, or just select objects that will bring the scene to life and make it concrete. The objects that will paint a picture for the reader. No object, no matter how seemingly random, should be there for mere decoration, or just to give this aura of reality. You don't want to just fill up the room with objects just because they were or could have been there in the room. So you want to choose your objects intentionally. Okay, so let's get to it. Here are three types of objects to bring to your scenes. Number one, mood objects. Some objects symbolize your character's feelings, and they don't play an important role in the plot. And they're not particularly meaningful to the character. They add to the tone of the story, and they deepen our understanding of a character's feelings. Objects can be repositories for what a character feels, but can't express directly. The reason this is a powerful way to reveal character emotion is that emotions are complex. They often elude our own understanding or our ability to articulate. An example I often give is from Suzanne Burney's novel, A Crime in the Neighborhood, where 10-year-old Marsha describes the damaged things in her house. Here's the excerpt. I noted the worn patches in the hallway's oriental runner, the scuff marks on the stairs, the scorch at the back of the lampshade in the living room. The screen was coming away from the screen door in one corner 
curling away from the metal frame like a leaf. The volume control knob had fallen off the hi-fi, leaving a forked metal bud. Stephen had spilled India ink on the sofa, and if you turned over the left cushion, you found a deep blue stain shaped like a moose antler. I had never realized our house contained so many damaged things. So these objects in and of themselves don't bear any particular meaning to the narrator. They add up to a feeling that her family is broken. Her father has left them recently to carry on an affair with her aunt, and a boy from the neighborhood has recently been found murdered behind the local mall. So the damaged objects in her house reflect something essential about her. But by focusing on the things in her house, she avoids self-pity or melodramatic emotion. Now, sometimes it's just a matter of seeing what you've already included and expanding on it to give it more relevance and resonance. For example, a story I once wrote included a row of plants lined up in the den. There was Dracinia, there was a snake plant, philodendron, etc. And they were all lined up in the den, but all of them were plastic. So all of them were plastic. They were all scentless. Now, the husband didn't want anything he had to water or put effort into caring for. That's why he got artificial plants. So these plants, these objects were meant to reflect the fractured relationship between the husband and wife. So in both these examples, the objects add texture to the scene, but they're representative. They're doing multiple things. They're placed in the scene to reflect the feelings or memories they elicit in the narrator, and they're grouped together. So it's a collection of objects that represent the feelings of your point of view character, but they paint a picture at the same time. Okay, on to number two, ambiance objects. This is similar to mood objects, but they're not necessarily tied to a character's feelings as much as they are there to create a sense of atmosphere. The goal is, again, to be as specific and concrete and precise as possible. It's all about being intentional. Here's an example from Haruki Murakami's story, The Wind-Up Bird and Tuesday's Women. It's the first time I've taken in the sights of the passage at leisure, so everything is new to my eyes. Propped up in a corner of one backyard is a lone, withered, brown Christmas tree. In another yard lies several childhoods worth of every plaything imaginable. A virtual scrap heap of tricycle parts, a ring toss set, plastic samurai swords, rubber balls, a toy turtle, wooden trucks. One yard sports a basketball hoop, another a fine set of garden chairs and a rattan table. By the look of them, the chairs 
haven't been sat on in months, maybe years. They're so covered with dirt, the tabletop is rain plastered with lavender magnolia petals. So he groups objects together to give a certain atmosphere. When you describe objects grouped together like this, you're creating mood or ambience more than imbuing a single object with symbolic power. For example, in the same story, the stone wind-up bird is a single object that's described a few times and each time it gathers more meaning. So the wind-up bird is symbolic. This is why you want to pay attention to how much description you give to any one object. The more attention you give to descriptions of objects, the more importance and meaning your reader will attach to those objects. If it's just background, be brief about it. But if you want an object to mean something inside the story, to have some metaphoric value, then it should stand alone and be given more attention than other objects. And you want to bring it back into the story through repetition and variation. And that leads us to number three, significant objects. Now, significant objects can be plot significant or character significant. So these are objects that are given more attention in the story. What makes an object significant is when it directly affects your plot or your character development. So it's plot significant or character significant. Plot significant would be, for example, evidence to solve a murder or an artifact. So the plot takes a new turn once the artifact or the evidence is introduced or found in a particular scene. If your story is about a search for an artifact, then whichever scene it turns up in is going to have some kind of drama or danger or some kind of conflict. Also, whether your protagonist or antagonist has the artifact will change the direction of your plot. It will continue to elude the character who wants it the most, and that will create tension and suspense. I've been re-watching the Netflix documentary, The Staircase. I love true crime stories. This is a true story of the novelist Michael Peterson, whose wife Kathleen was found dead at the bottom of the staircase in their house. And the question tugging me along and still tugs me along is, did he murder her? Did he do it? Now, the blow poke, which is a fireplace tool that was given to the Petersons by Kathleen's sister, was one of the keys to the case. So it was plot significant. During the trial the prosecution argued that the blowpoke, which had not been found at the home, was likely the weapon Michael used to bludgeon his wife to death. Now, they never found the blowpoke, so they had no hard evidence. And Michael Peterson, 
nor anyone in his family could find the blowpoke in the house because they knew if they found it, there would be proof through DNA that it wasn't used to kill her. It would create a reasonable doubt. Now, much later during the trial, one of his sons found it in the garage and there were no traces of blood or DNA, so the blowpoke theory fizzled out. Now, he was still convicted and he served eight years in prison. Eventually, he was granted a retrial because one of the prosecuting witnesses was found to have given misleading and deliberately false testimony regarding the bloodstain evidence in the case. But in a real-life plot twist, Peterson's lawyer learned that not only did police officers find the blowpoke when they first searched Peterson's home, but they moved it and photographed it, even though they never provided those photos to the defense team. So they knew at the start of the trial back in 2002, that this whole blowpoke theory was bunk. And yet the prosecution went forward with the insistence that Michael used the blowpoke to murder his wife. So the blowpoke is a plot significant object. And then we have character significant objects. This is symbolic. This is an object that has value to your character for personal reasons. It has sentimental power. It might be a talisman. It might be a piece of jewelry. Now, a character-significant object does not need to change the course of your plot, but it does need to be described in enough detail and with enough repetition and variation that the reader understands their value to your character. A great example is Margaret Atwood's novel, cat's eye. The cat's eye is the central image of the novel. It's a marble the narrator's brother, older brother, gave to her when they were younger, and she put it in a jar with other marbles. Here's how the narrator describes it. The cat's eyes are my favorite. If I win a new one, I wait until I'm by myself, then take it out and examine it turning it over and over in the light. The cat's eyes really are like eyes, but not the eyes of cats. They're the eyes of something that isn't known, but exists anyway. Like the green eye of the radio, like the eyes of aliens from a distant planet. My favorite one is blue. I put it into my red plastic purse to keep it safe. I risk my other cat's eyes to be shot at, but not this one. So she calls it a jar of light. Her brother eventually grows up to become a physicist who studies light. So the author is expanding on that object, expanding that symbol. And then her brother is killed by hijackers on a plane. She loses the marble eventually, but the story is not about the marble or about her trying to find it. That is not the plot. The marble is symbolic. 
And she does find it at the end of the novel, but that's not what's driving the plot. So when an object is character significant, it doesn't change the course of the plot. It's not significant to the plot, but it has symbolic charge to the character. For example, in Murakami's story, The Wind-Up Bird and Tuesday's Women, the character-significant object is the stone wind-up bird. He mentions it about three times throughout the story as he tries to find his wife's lost cat. And each time he describes it, it gathers meaning. So there's repetition and variation. It isn't a static object. Okay, let's quickly recap. We talked about bringing more concreteness, more muscularity, and vividness to your story and scenes through objects. We explored three ways to use objects. Number one, mood objects. These stand in for the character's feelings and don't play an important role in the plot. They're not particularly meaningful to your character, They add to the tone of the story, and they deepen our understanding of a character's feelings. Number two, ambient objects. These create atmosphere of a place. With mood and ambient objects, they're usually a collection of objects grouped together. And number three, significant objects. This is one object that's significant to the plot or to your character. A plot-significant object impacts the outcome of your plot, the blowpoke in the documentary The Staircase. A character-significant object doesn't necessarily affect your plot, but it is meaningful to your character, and it's often brought into the story through repetition and variation. What I like to do when setting a scene in a certain place is to do what I call word clusters. So I'll gather on paper, and I'll do it freehand, objects of a particular room or setting. So I'll brainstorm what objects might be there, and then I'll select the most vivid and precise. And then I'll get even more specific through revision. And if there's a central object, I'll describe it in different ways to give it some variation. I'll let it gather meaning throughout the story. So there you go. Three ways to bring objects into your scenes. I hope this helps you give your scenes more specificity, more concreteness, and more vividness. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. As always, keep writing, and I'll talk to you soon.